0: on Monday, I opened my email and he reached out just saying like, hey, I have a crazy idea would you ever be willing to sell the newsletter? And (laughs) I was like, no, not really.
1: Hello, and welcome back to Indie Mics, the podcast arriving news stories of fellow indie hackers in 15 minutes or less. Today, I'm joined by Ryan Gilbert, who's the creator of the WorkSpaces newsletter, which showcases the best workspaces in tech and beyond. He grew it to 6,000 subscribers and $2,000 a month before being acquired by Loops. I actually had the founder of Loops, Chris France, on the podcast on episode 61 and then Ryan went on to be their first employee. In this episode, we talk about how simplicity has been so important for the growth of the newsletter, how he makes it appealing for guests to share, and his reasoning for selling at such an early stage. If you're inspired by Ryan's story and want to build a newsletter of your own, I have the perfect platform to get you started. And that is, of course, podcast sponsor Email Octopus. They're an indie email marketing platform built to support other small growing businesses like yours. They are focused on affordability and ease of use, which I'll be honest, is very useful when you're a bootstrapper. Email Octopus contains all of the features you need to reach and grow your audience. You can start today without paying a single penny on their free plan where you can contact up to 2,500 subscribers. To try out Email Octopus, head to emailoctopus.com or hit the link in the show notes. Let's get into this chat with Ryan where we kick off talking about what Ryan was doing before Workspaces.
0: So I was working in supply chain actually for a very large and well known company that dealt with like home cleaning supplies. So I was busier than ever. I was working, you know, 12, 14 hour days while everyone else was starting to work from home, maybe work less hours. And I kind of fell backwards into supply chain out of school. It wasn't something that I was interested in. I just took a job. The pay kept going up. I didn't leave. <laughs> My background was marketing. It kind of worked, I guess, you know, business, but I just found myself stuck at that point. And it just, you know. The hours kept getting longer and longer, but I was always interested in side projects. So I started workspaces back in 2020, kind of as the pandemic was getting started a little bit more kind of seriously, everyone was kind of working from home at that point, the transition was starting. Everyone then started posting their pictures of, of their new desks from their couch, their counter, wherever. And I was like, okay, there's something here. All these tweets are getting so much engagement. I'm interested in side projects. I'm not technical, but what can I do with this? Substack was taking off around that time. And I just, you know, within five minutes was like, okay, I can get a simple website up and I can shoot a text out to a friend that works at Facebook and I can ask what his new, you know, work from home setup looks like. And from there really didn't look back. I don't think I thought it would get this big to be honest with you, Yeah. but I haven't missed a weekend since that first post back in 2020. And then I don't know, somewhere along the line, I realized like I could do something with this. I didn't think the newsletter would be like, This is paying my bills. This was even before I started monetizing it at all. But I was like, I think this could turn into something else. I don't want to be in supply chain. I'm interested in tech, but how can I do something with this?
1: I find it interesting how non-technical folks start out with their businesses, because you can find a technical co-founder to build a SaaS where you get that glorious recurring revenue and high profit margins. You can build something with no code tools, or you can build products, or you can build a media business and i really like the idea of a media business because i can make content i've been enjoying the kind of explosion of newsletters yep um first question was did you do you have any like side projects before that
0: back in college i did a small little ebook that interviewed i think it was 18 maybe 20 startup founders from around the world and i worked with actually which is very funny in hindsight I found him on Dribbble, but Jordan Singer, who is now, you know, very kind of big in the tech design world, founder of Diagram, he had no reason to work with me, but reached out to him, (laughs) asked him to design it. And he did sold a couple hundred copies, but it wasn't anything big. It was just, you know, kind of like my first kind of step into that world. From there, I was, I guess, the non-technical half of a simple polling app that was, you know, sold right around the same time of Workspaces actually. And that was just a super kind of simple way to poll an audience and that came out of the idea of I wanted to pull my, my workspaces readers and at the time Substack Beehive didn't exist but Substack didn't have polling inside of it so it was a simple short link didn't even need an account to sign up and I actually started that with the first guest of workspaces.
1: So w- with workspaces everyone started working from home I feel like it's a super simple concept, and that's why I loved it when I came across it. How, how did you start to grow it? Yeah, I think
0: after I reached out to the first guest, got all the stuff, shared it on Twitter, it just organically, I guess, started to grow from there. I kind of had the hunch, this goes back to the ebook I put together in college, but if I featured other people and they put the time in to share you know, their content, essentially, it wasn't my content, but that they would share it on the back end for me. And I would be able to grow off of their audience and that proved to be 100% right. Uh, I've done zero paid acquisition. It's all been organic word of mouth, mostly through Twitter. There's been a couple small things like a, a post on hacker news or an interview on indie hackers, but for the most part, I've grown hundred percent through other people's audiences and that was, that was intentional. I started out with smaller audiences and just kind of stair, step my way up to the point of getting like base camps, DHH on it. I would never have reached out, you know, from day one for that. But once you have an audience that's kind of growing, you can just kind of keep kind of, you know, punching up for a bigger guest, bigger guest. And now it's to the point where I do very little outreach for new guests, unless it's someone I specifically really want. Mm. There's a backlog of a hundred plus spaces. Some of them going back to 2021. Which is a problem and yeah it's a lot of people reaching out now seeing the audience and asking how they can get their own setup included
1: that seems like a smart way to go grow with people's audiences again it's simple it's a tweet it's here i've showcased my workspaces if you enjoy seeing this here's where you can get a bunch more and i think for you as well the simplicity of it meant that you were just gonna keep doing it and keep doing it because you personally enjoyed seeing these workspaces how much work was it to put together each one at the start and like has that changed much now
0: there's a, i think there's a reason that you know i started in 2020 i have the publishing schedule of the weekends which you know you'd think would be a problem because you know people do things on the weekends i haven't missed a weekend yet i am a notorious procrastinator but the, the, the work needed is so, I guess, little that it doesn't truly get in the way. There's been times, I'm, this is you know, maybe not the greatest thing, but being at a friend's wedding and being like, oh, dang, I need to quickly publish this and get a tweet out. <laughs> but you can do it from your phone. You can do it from an iPad. I have all the work up front in my personal email. Not very organized with it. It's just email. I can search you know, Workspaces newsletter, filter to unread, pick one, and then kind of go from there. And it's just as simple as, you know. Packaging up the pictures, most of the people have very nice setups and pictures that take very little editing. The only time that I'll need to edit it is if it's, you know, too big of a file. So the amount of work per week is, you know, an hour or two max, especially now that I'm not doing any outreach myself to get new guests.
1: Can you think of any workspaces that have really wowed you? Cause you've liked in so many of them now, do they all sort of look the same? What makes it stand out?
0: I mean, some of them do definitely blend together. There was one that really stands out, and I like to share it all the time. His name was Alan. Last name starts with a G, but it was a really bright red workspace, and it just stands out. The chair is red. He's got a bench that's red. He has red tape holding up all of his pictures. One of my favorites just from the beginning, though, was always Joey Banks, and I think that's just it was such a nice setup from the start, but also it was such early days of the Workspaces newsletter that... When I shared it, it was just an instant boost in
1: subscribers. So tell me through monetization and when that sort of came into your head as this newsletter that you just started for fun as a side project was starting to grow, came momentum, and you were thinking right, I've got to monetize this.
0: Yeah, so when I started the newsletter, monetization really just never crossed my mind. It was more of like, how can I build this newsletter and meet new people that are in an industry that I want to get into, but around probably three, maybe 4,000 subscribers, I started getting inbound interest on people that wanted to sponsor it. And I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, maybe there's, there's something here, but I don't know what to charge for this. I have no idea what, what a newsletter sponsorship can go for. I've seen, you know, publicly, like we, we touched on dense discovery, but their rates don't really correlate to someone who's at a much smaller scale. So I didn't really know what, what to do with that. But I started at $50 per sponsorship and I was doing one sponsor per post and at the time that I started that, I think I was still doing just the Saturday edition, so it was you know fifty dollars a week. Quickly moved that up to a hundred, then hundred fifty, and then two hundred fifty per sponsor. And then at that time, I was also doing two posts a week, so you could see how just very quickly the the money started adding up. It wasn't you know MRR or anything like that, but it was pretty. I guess, easy. It was weird as I I was very open on Twitter with the, the growing subscriber numbers, the open rates. So every time I would do that, like more sponsors would come in. And then once I had one sponsor, I also never missed a post with a sponsor, which I think also kind of like added to like the scarcity of it. People would reach out and say, do you have any opening slots? And I would say, yeah, in two months and I don't know what the rate's going to be then. So I'll reach back out to you and yeah, Chris from loops was one of those sponsors at the, at the two fifty rate, uh, towards the end of me doing sponsorships and I think he was a Saturday edition on Monday, I opened my email and he reached out just saying like, Hey, I have a crazy idea. Would you ever be willing to sell the newsletter? And <laughs> I was like, no, not really no interest in that. At the time I was working at product hunt, loved it there. And, you know, I had zero interest in just selling the newsletter and I agreed to hop on a phone call anyway. (laughs) Chris just kind of laid out why exactly they not only then wanted to acquire Workspace as the newsletter, but also bring me on board as their first employee. And that was on, I want to say like a Monday and, you know, by the next Saturday of me just going back and forth, it just seemed like, you know, an opportunity that, I had to take. It was when I, when I moved out of supply chain and went to product hunt, that was the role that Chris was offering at loops was essentially what I guess you could call like, would have been the dream goal, like the dream role of like, if this newsletter was going to turn into anything, that would have been it. So why kind of let that pass by?
1: Well it, it's a perfectly symbiotic relationship. It seems like a perfect match for you because you wanted to like have a job in content product. It's a newsletter that appeals to tech folks within companies as well, not just founders, and loops is a product and email sending product that that audience are, are potentially customers for. So, yeah.
0: no, the the audience overlaps quite a bit, yeah. Part of I mean I've I've told Chris this, but like a big reason for me wanting to join loops was, you know, I I felt like I was starting back over in my career, essentially at the time I was almost 30. I wanted to again, be like the absolute dumbest person in the room. And as their, you know, first employee, number three at the company total, I was definitely that. And now that we're five people, I still in that. And I think that's a very good spot for me to be where pretty much every single person there I can learn a bunch from other other still days where I wish maybe WorkSpaces was still just mine, 100%. And I think that's probably the case for most people when they sell something that they worked two or three years on and you know saw it grow, saw it grow. When I have a huge growth day on WorkSpaces or people reach out directly and say like, hey, we'd love to sponsor this newsletter. Like, do you do that? Mm-hmm. It's always like, mm, I kind of wish I still had this to myself. But at the end of the day, everything that Chris kind of you know offered up in, in terms of like, this is still essentially your newsletter, that's that's all true and it's essentially like you know i have a role now at loops but also i'm working on workspaces as like a side project within loops is essentially like what the arrangement kind of is they're extremely hands off with it it's still kind of my vision what i want to happen with it so it's essentially the best of both worlds and i don't think you get that more times than not
1: do you get much imposter syndrome like you're saying you feel like you're the dumbest person at the company big career switch
0: uh, yeah, 100%, but I don't know if it's imposter syndrome more or less than it's actually like just the truth, but, <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know. Well, that's to be determined, I guess, but yeah, a lot of like what I'm doing now is stuff that I said I would never have done or been able to do years ago, doing like some SEO writing and stuff like that. And that's just something that, you know, when you're working in supply chain, you never imagine that you're writing a 10,000 word thing that's supposed to rank in Google. And then, you know, just being thrown into that of like, hey, figure this out. Yeah, it, it can be tough. It can definitely be tough. And then you're just, you have to remember like, I I have this role because I started a newsletter that features pictures of other people's desks. Yeah, it can be weird.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, you've been a fantastic guest. I end every episode on three recommendations, a book, a podcast, an indie hacker, entrepreneur.
0: Yeah, so I guess book, this is probably going to be said time and time again on here going forward, but the creative act by Rick Rubin podcast, creator science by Jay Klaus, indie hacker, somewhat controversial, but not really his fault. Brett from design joy. He gets a lot of flack on Twitter, but I think people have a lot to learn from kind of how he's, I guess, productized himself, I think is the term he's using. And just because he's leveraging that to then start a course, I don't think he deserves kind of the flack he's getting, but I think you can learn a lot from him. I don't have a skill that I can productize myself, but if I did... I'd be doing that.
1: <laughs> and like a curve of one, which you haven't prepped for, what newsletter would you recommend people?
0: Yeah, I do like Dense Discovery, but outside of just an individual newsletter, I guess, and kind of, a guess, another indie hacker, I think his name is like Giselle Rothy, possibly. He has a newsletter called Internet is Beautiful, which is essentially a play on the subreddit. And yeah. then also startups.fyi. And it's been fascinating to watch him grow.
1: Definitely. Well, Ryan, you've been a fantastic guest. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for being a guest on Indie Bites.
0: Oh, of course, anytime. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Bites. I hope you enjoyed it. To support the show, I'd appreciate you checking out our sponsor, Email Octopus, and subscribe to my newsletter, The Indie Byte. All links are in the show notes. As always, see you in the next episode.